Thank you, Marilyn. Thank you, church, for singing today. Did um, you, we are the worship team. Uh, these men and women up here are helpers to us. Uh, so it is such a joy to hear you sing hallelujah and praise today. Just a side note, I will be sipping probably a significant amount of water today, so please be patient with me as I wrestle with a sore throat. Uh, feel free to fist bump in the foyer later rather than shake hands. We're in our last chapter, our last verses of the book of Revelation, the very last verses in the entire Bible, the very last words of revealed Scripture. There is, I think here, instruction on how to prepare for the end, how to prepare for the end. I don't know if you know anyone or maybe you are one of those people who would be considered a prepper, a prepper, someone who is making ready plans now in financial and physical and time ways to prepare for some apocalyptic end to the world. I think a decent prepper is going to have at least three things. Any prepper worth their prepping has at least three things. One, literature. Two, a timetable. And three, a list of essentials. Literature, a timetable, and a list of essentials. Some of you here, you have no idea what the words Y2K mean. But when the calendar rolled over from 1999 to the year 2000, there was a great deal of fear that the end of the world was coming or that the end of technology was coming, that our calendars were not going to roll over to, to, to the year 2000. There was no plan for that. Planes were going to fall out of skies. Trains were going to wreck. Your bank accounts would be emptied. Maybe you know someone today who is planning for the alien invasion or someone who is planning for the nuclear holocaust that is surely just around the corner. Regardless of your prepping situation, what you are prepping for, you're going to have a narrative that you trust, a, a source of information that you trust. I find it interesting looking around this week to, to learn that you didn't just have to trust CNN or, or Fox News, that FEMA our federal government actually had an action plan for Y2K. And there's a timetable that you're going to be trusting. Someone's timetable you're going to trust. Is the, the threat of the end of the world imminent? Well, then you should prepare now. Is the threat of the end of the world really about the sun imploding when it gets to the end of its lifetime? Well, scientists say we probably have a little while to wait. And then there's the list of essentials. Of course, you need water and food, maybe guns or breathing masks. What really matters when preparing for the end? Well, the one who will prepare to meet God, the one who will prepare to meet Jesus Christ, will prepare this way. Trust the revelation of God. Trust the revelation of God. Make that your literature. And trust that the end is near. That Christ is coming soon. Make that your timetable. And trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. 
that being the main essential preparation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here, sing, pray, read, hear your word. Father, we ask now that as your word is preached that you would help us to hear clearly what you have revealed about yourself and your plans in your word. In every way, Father, that we need to be encouraged to walk in faith and obedience and righteousness, would you help us? In every way, God, that we need to repent, we need to turn from sin, trust in your word and walk in obedience, would you help us repent today? Oh, we love you, Father. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we come to the end of the book of Revelation, as I said, and we have seen through the book of Revelation a, a broad overview movement of the people and the nations of the world moving against the church in the end times, but Jesus Christ returning victoriously, saving His church, and then bringing His church in Revelation chapter 20 and 21, bringing His church into the new heavens and new earth those who are trusting in Christ to be with God and to be with Christ forever. And we see now in these last few words some final thoughts, things that Jesus once left in your mind as you think about the end being near. Make your literature the revelation of God. Trust the revelation of God. Edgar C. Wisenant was a former NASA engineer and Bible student who predicted the rapture would occur in 1998 between September 11th and September 13th. He published two books about this, one of them called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. When you hear that title, you should immediately think, this is probably not true. The numbers just are too nicely fit together. And the other book, On Borrowed Time, eventually 3,000, or excuse me, 300 copies of 88 Reasons were mailed free of charge to ministers across America. And 4.5 million copies were sold in bookstores and elsewhere. Wisenot was quoted saying, only if the Bible is in error am I wrong. And I say that to every preacher in town. If there were a king in this country and I could gamble with my life, I would stake my life on Jesus returning in Rosh Hashanah in 1988 on the Jewish calendar. Well, as the great day approached, regular programming, even on Christian Trinity Broadcast Network, was interrupted repeatedly to provide special instructions on preparing for this coming rapture. When the predicted rapture failed to occur, Wisenant followed up with later books of later predictions for various dates in 1989, 1993, then again in 1994. Shockingly, these books did not sell as in great a quantity. Wisenot continued to issue various rapture predictions all the way through 1997, but little gathered attention. Whose word can you trust about the end? What makes them trustworthy? Maybe you have your favorite end times book. This is what John tells us. He said to me, the angel, these words are trustworthy and true. 
And the Lord God, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. We should see also how this beginning of this section, chapter 22, verse 6, repeated and the top and tail kind of structure in this passage so that we see the words and prophets and prophecy and I am coming soon, that group word collection again in chapter 22, verse 18 through 20. Look down there. He says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will take will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And a list of things may seem a bit haphazard thrown together at the very end of Revelation, there is a main point about it all, and that it is that this word from God through his holy angel, through the revelation of Jesus Christ, is the trustworthy word. What is the point of these references to the prophecy and to the book of prophecy? It might sound like this is making Revelation unique from all the other books in the Bible. Don't add to this book. But it is quite the opposite. This is telling the reader to treat the book of Revelation like you treat the rest of God's Word. You believe the prophets, do you not? These words are as trustworthy and true. How can we say that? Because the God of the spirits of the prophets showed this to me. The whole point is that this is the same God who spoke through Moses, to, to Moses through the burning bush. This is the same God who revealed to Jeremiah exactly how long Israel would be in exile. This is the same God who showed Ezekiel the renewed temple who spoke through Daniel and through Hosea and Zechariah. It's the same God who is now speaking to us in visions to John who spoke to people in the past through the prophets. This book is right in line with the rest of God's word. So don't even think about altering one word any more than you would alter any other prophetic word from God. Protect this word like all the other word of God. This is the end time literature of God. At every turn, God reminds his people to guard his word. It is unalterable. It is unchangeable. When we think about guarding it, we mean be careful not to add or subtract from it. In Deuteronomy, when God's people are transitioning from Egypt and the desert to the promised land where they were to hear God's Word, God repeats to them the law and then says to them in Deuteronomy 12, 32, everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take away from it. Likewise, in Proverbs, it says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. In fact, much of the ministry of the prophets in the Old Testament was a ministry dealing with false prophets. 
So this is a, a fitting end to the whole of God's revelation, not just this book, but the end of the whole of the Bible, because it has been the central battle between good and evil since the beginning. The very first temptation to sin in the world, the very first satanic movement against mankind wasn't demonic possession or oppression. It wasn't temptation necessarily to earthly wealth and glory. It was Satan asking Eve a simple but subtle question. Did God really say? And now at the end of the Bible, John is telling us yet again, these words are trustworthy and true. The God of the spirit of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Trust these words. Feel free to test them. Take the book of Revelation. Take the whole Bible. Run it through the best efforts to discredit it. You will find that God's word keeps happening throughout history. His promises continue to be fulfilled. Whatever he says comes true. Whatever he says he will do, he does. Whatever he says will happen among the nations happens among the nations. When God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you're going to go for 70 years into Babylon, it doesn't matter what the other false prophets say when they say, no, we're going to come home sooner. Don't worry about it. God's word comes true. Maybe you struggled, wrestled recently with the trustworthiness of Scripture. Is this book really helpful? Is this book really true? There's a couple of books that may help you. Greg Gilbert, Why I Why Trust the Bible. It's a really short book. I'm sure we have some copies in the back. Vody Bachum wrote a book called The Ever-Loving Truth. R.C. Sproul wrote a book, Can I Trust the Bible? Maybe you just be encouraged to go back and read how trustworthy is this, even on the level of historical reliability, much less internal consistency. Be careful, John tells us, not to add to Scripture. Did the Bible actually say what you are saying? Or is that beyond what Scripture has said? We might add to Scripture when we say things under the banner of suggesting this is what God says or how God feels without actually saying God's words. Do you really know what God says about the thing that you are talking about? Or did you come up with that on your own last night? Scrolling through social media. Don't take away from God's word. Thomas Jefferson actually cut out parts of the Bible. It's probably unlikely that any of us would do that. But we might be tempted to not read parts of it. Maybe there are parts of God's word that we try to steer away from because it's too difficult. It's too condemning. Maybe parts that you think don't belong there. You don't understand how they fit. The application here. And taking God's word and treating it as trustworthy is simple. Trust the Bible by reading the Bible. Trust God's word by submitting yourself to it, placing yourself underneath it, submitting to God in his word, treating it as trustworthy. I don't know about you, but one of the last things I need in the world right now is another guilt trip on how much I don't read the Bible. Aren't you tired of that guilt? Don't read your Bible enough this week. Have you confessed that in life group recently, maybe? Pray for me. I have been reading my Bible enough. Pray for me that I would read my Bible more. Well, it's certainly a good thing that we ought to be praying and pursuing. 
But sometimes when we say that, it can actually sound like we are praying, God, help me do more good works for you so that you're not mad at me. You ever felt like that about reading your Bible? Enough? What is enough? How do we measure? And no one ever knows what it means to be enough. We just always know that we haven't really done enough. The application of this passage should not simply be, you're not doing enough Bible reading. You have a chore to go home and do. But to ask questions, how's your life going? How's your anxiety? How's your faith? How is your understanding of the world around you? How is your handling of those who have sinned against you today? How prepared are you for the end? You tossed up and down, tossed to and fro day to day, lacking answers for what the world, why the world is the way it is, what's going on in the world. And instead of simply saying, I, I have not been reading my Bible enough, Maybe a more pertinent confession would be, I've not trusted God's word. I've been trusting myself. I've been trusting my own word. I have been listening to my own voice and my own head or other men and women's voices instead of God's word. Friends, know that the Bible being trustworthy is not a burden to you. Read this book, it's trustworthy. Read this book instead of other books. Be more disciplined about this book. But that the Bible is trustworthy and true is the relief of the burden of living in the dark with no light. It is a lamp to our feet. It is a light to our paths. It frees you from meaninglessness and hopelessness. The book of Revelation frees you from being discouraged about daily tragedies and persecutions and not being invited back to your family for Thanksgiving and being reminded of us, reminding us of the heavenly and eternal news about Jesus Christ even as we read news every day of tragedy here on earth. The comfort of heaven is an encouragement for the saddest, emptiest days here on earth. The future possession is the encouragement for every loss of every worldly thing, even our own lives. I heard one pastor say it this way, Revelation has in it the cure for every anxiety. Go this week and sit in the Bible for hours and don't get up. Come to feel, sit in the Bible long enough to feel how often our own thoughts are absent any phrasing, truth, or language from God's true and trustworthy words. Come to be refreshed, be saved from your own thoughts by hearing and seeing the Word of God. Test this and, and see. Too often Bible reading seems like something that we give to God it's a chore that we do for him, a, a duty, a discipline that we do for him. But friends, the word of God is a gift to us from God. Reading the Bible is like going from headline to headline, from book to book and from person to person and, and finally getting into God and his word and saying, now there is something trustworthy. There is something solid and it doesn't move and it doesn't keep changing every day. It's something I can bank my life on. I can go to sleep tonight trusting that God keeps his promises and I can go to sleep knowing when I wake up it's still going to be as true as it was yesterday. 
It is God's gift to you. Be very cautious of yourself or others being very confident, especially about spiritual things, but who have no knowledge or reverence for God's word in their mouth. Be very cautious regarding those who have a lot of advice, a lot of clarification about the end, a lot of preparing for the end, a lot of details about the end, but have no words from God to go with them. If you're not a Christian today, I wonder if you would ask yourself, what word do you trust in the world? What's your literature? Is it your own heart? Is it the news? And what about what you trust is so wonderful and so great? What makes it so trustworthy? Have you considered the trustworthiness of what you're basing your life on? Have you tested it again and again? Have you doubted your confidence? Ask someone from our church what reading the Bible is like. If you've been a Christian for any time and read the Bible, you can share this experience. You sat down to read your Bible, even if you feel you are discouraged to do so. And after sitting down to read your Bible, you don't leave saying to God, with, with God saying to us, thank you for your time. Thank you for doing a good thing for me today. When you get into God's Word and the Spirit is leading you and you are meditating on God's Word and you are recognizing and submitting to your life to God's Word as the true and trustworthy Word from God, you leave saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for hope in Jesus Christ. Thank you for my life now and forever being secured by your Son dying on the cross, raising from the dead, Dying to live again, never to die again. Thank you for that kind of hope. Thank you for the hope and revelation that this world, God, is not out of your control. The whole movement of history, God, thank you. Thank you that you are sovereign, that you control, that you are moving history, and I am not lost in it because I know you. And I know you through your word. These words are true and trustworthy. If these words are true and trustworthy, then Jesus is, in fact, the Son of the living God. The whole point of Revelation is not just to know kind of the details in the end. This is not the newspaper from the future just so we can know facts, but it is more revelation from Christ about Christ. So as we see these things true, it is just one more affirmation that Jesus really was and is the Son of God, that He came to die on the cross for our sins, that He raised from the grave, and that He lives today, even now. That the gospel of your sins being forgiven at the cross are, are true that, that new life is given to us when Jesus raised from the dead and we put our faith in Him. The point of these words being trustworthy and true means that the Bible is not just a good story. It is not a heartwarming, therapeutic, bedtime story while you are on your way to your demise. The word means the gospel of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and his return for the redeemed church is true and trustworthy. And it is the center of all reality in all time. Test it, see, trust 
the revelation of God as your end time literature and trust the end is near. This is how the book of Revelation begins. Revelation chapter 1 verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Then Jesus tells the church in Philadelphia, that church with little power, I am coming soon. And then here in 22 verse 6, he sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Three times in this chapter, Revelation 22, it is Christ himself saying, I am coming soon, I am coming soon. And the third and last time, surely I am coming soon. Well, is Christ coming soon? Well, is he? Friends, know that this is part of the true and trustworthy gospel. This is true or none of it is true. Look what he says in chapter 22, verse 10. He said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil. Let the filthy still be filthy. And let the righteous still do right. And the holy still be holy. This is not literature for later, John is saying. This is not to be put aside, put in, put in the closet, and when the, the nuclear missiles hit the air, go get it and figure out what to do. This is the book that we need now because the time is near right now. What does that mean? Let the one who is coming to do evil, let him do it. Let the righteous be righteous. Is it, is it fatalism to say that? Is it saying, oh, just leave all the people alone? No, it has to do with the sealing up of the book, it seems. Sealing this book up isn't going to keep anything in this book from happening, John. Don't seal the book up. The evil in it is going to happen. The righteousness in it is going to happen. The beast is going to come. The false prophet is going to come. The church is going to endure. You can hide the book, but the plans and the events that are in it are going to happen. And it is only getting closer and closer and closer day by day. So God wants the church to know what is coming because they are in the time now. When we look at the events of God over time from Genesis to Revelation, when we look at the history of the world, nearness and soonness make sense. There were 400 years which Israel was in Egypt. Our nation isn't even that old yet. There were 400 years between the prophets and the arrival of Christ. The time from Abraham to Jesus was about 4,000 years. Even young earth theories have the age of the earth between 6,000 to 10,000 years old. What's a few more to see the gospel go to all nations? And when we look at the events of the world today, war and alliances and the increasingly universal persecution of Christians near and soon do not sound like wishes and fortunes. It is very close. Very close. Surely when we are in the new heavens and the new earth, singing as we sing for 10,000 years about the salvation of Jesus Christ, we will look back on whatever amount of time it took for Jesus to return and we'll think, well, that was quick. We will sound crazy to believe this in the world. Understand, Christians in the world are like the homeless guy in every doomsday movie holding up the sign that says the end is near. 
We are not the people who sound logically sane to much of the world. But the Bible encourages us this way in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter tells the church, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and the Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, those in the Old Testament, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of those, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, to be deluged, as it were, by fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord... One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Friends, there is no waiting. There is no future moment to prepare. This is the day. This is the time. This is the day of decision. Are you right now prepared for the end of time? Right now, today, not, not are you thinking about going home to get your essentials list ready? There is no promise of some more time, some, some more days, or that you will live through lunch today. This is not the time to prepare. To prepare. This is the time to have been prepared. Prepared means you have already dug out the bunker in your backyard. You've already stocked up on food. You already have water down there. You already have a plan. The only thing you are doing now is sitting in your backyard in the chair with your face to the sky, prepared. Are you prepared like that? Not are you thinking about getting prepared. Not are you making preparations. Are you prepared because the time is near. And Jesus has said, I am coming soon. Don't seal this up. This is for you. And what is that essential preparation? It is to be cleansed from sin through Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 22, verse 12 and 13. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me. When Christ comes, he will bring his recompense with him to repay each one for what he has done. Jesus says in verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the A and the Z. There is no other history except his. There is no other narrative in the world except the one that Jesus is sovereign over. There is no other path into the future of existence of the universe except through and toward the recompense coming from Jesus Christ. 
The whole of existence in mankind did not start with Jesus, but then become about something else. It did not start with mankind and then become about Jesus later when he came. No, Jesus is the one, the thing, the person, the son of Adam, the son of God who pulls every second of history and every inch of creation into one unified, meaningful existence created by God. You ever see on the map when driving there are two roads with the same number, some towns, you're on Highway 79, for example, but then there's a business 79, kind of the fast way and the the fast food way or, you know, whatever. Two roads get to the same place, the same town. Well, friends, there are no detours like that. There, There are no roads off the road that leads to Jesus coming back and offering his recompense to each one for what he has done. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way, the whole world is relative to Christ whether it knows it or not. Remember when Jesus ascended after his resurrection, he said all authority under heaven and earth have been given to me. That that is part of the meaning of his birth and his death and his resurrection. Being that he is the son of the living God, that he is the son of Adam and the son of God, he is the God-man, he is ruler of heaven and ruler of earth, so it is he and he alone who comes to repay each one for what he has done. Every single one, every king, every janitor, your uncle, your siblings, Every president, every senator, every Democrat, every Republican, every Ukrainian, every Russian. Jesus is coming soon to repay each one for what they have done. Now does that mean that Jesus is giving out prizes for all the people who were really good? They tried really hard in life. They were pretty good people. And for all those who were wicked and evil people will... He's giving them coal in their stockings and sending them to hell for the bad things that they had done. No. The phrase, repay for what he has done, should be taken in reference to each individual response to Jesus Christ, as in the book of Revelation, for example. Revelation has been showing us that there are two ways to live your life. Follow and trust Jesus Christ as God's Son from heaven to earth to save mankind or follow Satan and the beast and the false prophets. So when Jesus returns to repay, it will be, what did you do? In other words, did you trust and follow Christ, or did you trust and follow evil? Not how good were you versus how bad were you. But did you repent of sin, recognize Jesus as the authority, the king of heaven and earth for forgiveness of sin, or did you live for sin and self and pleasure and put all of your hope and trust in mankind and kings and in nations? The repayment here is that final warning that what you do now in life matters. A rejection of Christ will be rewarded with all the warnings of revelation, the being kept out of heaven. The acceptance of Christ will be rewarded with assurances in revelation. Being, dwelling with God himself in heaven forever. There's no getting out of that system. There is no other reality or dimension. There is no other world where you can get away from Jesus' recompense. Just consider, though, that we have this fantasy growing in our culture. The most popular 
narratives in recent decades, they all consist of heroes and villains interacting between two different worlds, two different realms. In 1994, it was that ever-popular blockbuster Stargate. I assume from your silence, no one has seen this movie. I don't know. 1997, it was Jodie Foster in the movie Contact who went through a wormhole where she met her dad on a beach. 1999, it was Neo entering into the Matrix. More recently, movies like Interstellar, The Atom Project, Stranger Things. Technology has afforded us the fantasy that we can travel interdimensionally by our own power. And that fantasy has afforded us the belief that the real meaning is found interdimensionally. This really, though, is not that new of an idea. Cultures from every part of the world and every place and time have ideals and narratives about spiritual and alternate realities which go beyond or are, or, or are parallel to our physical reality on the earth. But this is what Jesus is getting at when he says that he is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, everything from the beasts to the kings, it all answers to Christ. You need a plan for the end that prepares you to meet the Alpha and the Omega. The one who is king of heaven and king of earth. Sometimes when you have a trial and the people in the trial are so popular, well-known celebrities sometimes, you might have reasons because of bias to, to move that trial into a different court. Maybe a different county, somewhere else where these people are not so well known they can get a fair trial. There is nowhere to go in the world to get away from the recompense of Christ. There's not a reality. There's not a spiritual reality. There's not a physical reality. There's not another dimension. Jesus Christ is the A to Z, the Alpha and the Omega of all creation. Here the apostles say it this way, Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, Paul says. All the visible things and all the invisible things, whether they're thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things are created by, through, and for him. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, remembering the gospel, says, God is making known to us through Christ the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which God set forth in Christ. And the what God did in Christ is the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. And did not Jesus say at his ascension, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The most essential plan you need is a plan to face the recompense of Jesus Christ. You need not worry about your home or your basement or your backyard there is no amount of money that can build you a fortress to get you out of Jesus and his recompense. You could not afford the preparation. That's the message of the Spirit and the church today. That's what the Spirit and the church are doing today. Sending out that message for people to come and to be prepared. Do you think the church is there to make money? And some churches are. They might be found to be untrue churches. Just there to give more money, bigger facilities, more stuff, more fun, more entertainment. 
But the church is not here to get your money and spend it. The true church of Jesus Christ is offering you something that you can't buy. Revelation 22, 17, the spirit and the bride, that is the church. Here's what they say. Here's their ministry on the earth. Despite what you might think about what the church is doing or should be supposed to be doing, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price, let him come. What is the Spirit in the church now doing along with John and his ministry? Calling, come, come. Like someone at the door of an underground shelter with a tornado in sight, the church is saying, come, get in here. Come get in this shelter. Run to Jesus Christ. Come drink the water. Thank you so much. What do I owe you? Nothing. You can't, you can't buy this. The only thing that protects us from the recompense of Jesus Christ, the judgment that God gives, that we deserve, is the death and the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. When Jesus went to the cross, he paid the debt of righteousness with his life and death so that all those who trust in Christ will have their debt of sin paid. So we have no fear of any wrath to come. Paul says, since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, his sin, or his life for the sin of us on the cross, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Notice how in all of our sinfulness we make this passage sound so harsh. Oh, God is so mean, separating these people in and out. But God is not like the villains. Yesterday we were watching a show at home. The villain gives one of his servants this instruction. Do what I say and I will reward you greatly. Disobey and you will not live to regret it. Since the beginning, God's command has been, if you disobey and sin against me, if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will die. But notice the gospel. In Christ God has himself repaid the debt that we owe. The end is not zombies. If it were, you should plan accordingly. The end is not about the sun exploding and destroying the earth. If so, no preparation necessary. That's probably not going to happen for a while. The end is not about international treaties, nuclear conflict, per se. If it was, you should build a bunker. But what is at the end is Jesus Christ returned to the earth as the one who is sovereign in heaven and earth to bring his recompense with him. Prepare for that by having your robes washed through faith. He says in chapter 22, verse 14, blessed are those who have their robes washed so that they may have the right to eat of the tree of life that they may enter the city by the gates. You may be in heaven with God. Not the robes of the clothes that you wear, but yourself, your soul. You must be cleansed so that you can be with God. Notice how it combines the image of the priest in the temple with the garden. With your priestly robes cleaned, you can enter into the garden and God will give you life. How far we've come from those animal skins. Why? How? By Christ dying for your sins, not yourself. This is why. This gospel, this hope in the face of the recompense of Christ is why the very last words, the very last taste, the last note 
struck in the Bible is grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, in all of the word, help us to trust your word as true and trustworthy so that we might enjoy freedom from lies and hopelessness. Help us, Father, to remember the time is now. We ought to be prepared today for the return of Jesus Christ. Help us be convicted and encouraged and freed, Father, from our sin by believing and trusting and repenting that Jesus has paid the debt that we owe. That rather than getting what we deserve because of our sin, Christ laid down his life and rose again. And that Jesus being over heaven and earth, Father, there is nowhere in the world that we are not safe. Not safe from his recompense. Thank you. Give you just a moment to pray in response to God's word in your own heart and mind. Thank you, Father, for the blood of Christ, for the true and trustworthy word that you have revealed through your servants, the prophets, to us. May we know it and love it and treasure it. Be freed by it. In Jesus' name, amen.